Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 36 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week is my regular monthly question and answers session. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome once again to my weekly podcast, and my thanks to those of you listening via the Patreon page. I really appreciate your support. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers, and in return, you gain access to additional content and support from me. These start from as little as $1 per month, so I believe with the regular quality content I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, pop over to my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started and I'll do all I can to help you out with suggestions and recommendations for you. As usual, I'll leave any relevant links for this week's podcast in the show notes. It seems crazy that it's nearly mid-October and the sun is still shining. It's really warm outside. I've just popped outside and it uh, must be 22, 23 degrees. It's just crazy weather. Uh, however, it's our question and answers podcast today. And we've got lots of questions that are all relating to pretty much setting up hives for winter feeding, that kind of thing. So let's crack straight on with the questions. The first one is from Gary Dodd. Thanks for the question, Gary. And he says, hi, Stuart. I'm leaving a super with honey above the brood box this winter. However, I also intend to trickle oxalic acid in December or January. What's the best way to proceed? Should I remove the super first and replace it after treatment? What do I do if the cluster is in the super? I did treat with Max in mid-September, so maybe there's no need to treat again over winter. Well, hi, Gary. It's a great question, and I'm guessing that you're probably using national beehives. These can tend to be a little bit on the small side with some colonies these days, and so leaving a super on is a great way to ensure that they have enough food to overwinter with. The debate about whether to leave the super above or place it below the brood box is one that's probably being talked about quite a lot at beekeeping clubs this month, I suspect. If you over-super, that is, if you leave the super on top of the brood box, Obviously, you have to remove the queen excluder, but then if you have it on top of the brood box, you've got a couple of options. If the cluster has moved up into the super, you can simply pop the crime board off and trickle the oxalic acid in as normal. Some people advocate lifting the super, removing it completely, and trickling the cluster beneath, but I find that um, that tends to split the cluster rather than just exposing the cluster. Where I have had supers on top of the brood box on nationals previously i've always found that by the time i get through to january late december january the cluster has inevitably moved up into the super so if you then pop that super you tend to split open the cluster which is not a huge problem but it will chill the bees at, at best i guess but the worst possible outcome is that when you put the super back down having trickled you then crush the queen, and in attempting to assist your colony, you've uh, only doomed them. So for me, if I were over-supering the brood box, I would just pop the crime board and trickle the top of the cluster. I think that 
that's where using a sublimator might be a better option. So that's where you use a heated wand to vaporize the oxalic acid. Uh, if you under super the brood box, you'll normally find that the cluster is tucked away still in the brood box under the crime board and you can trickle away quite easily. So um, good luck with that, uh, Gary. Let me know how you get on and uh, I'm sure that everything will work out fine for you. Our next question comes from Anne Elvidge, uh, but it's also mirrored in part by a question from Chris Clark. And we have another similarly themed question from Ian Haslam. Uh, so I'll try and answer perhaps two or three of the questions in part now, but I'll come back to Ian's uh, extended question a little bit later. But they all ask a similar question regarding late autumn feeding. So Anne asks, hello, Stuart. It had not occurred to me that I would need to treat in December or January. I thought that I was leaving them alone and only checking for whether they needed more food until spring. I did treat for Varroa in September. I have just moved them into clean hives so I can do maintenance on the others. They're still going through the syrup at a rate, aren't they just, Anne? Uh, same situation here. Uh, when should I change to fondant? So that's the first question. It is still fairly warm here in Normandy during the day, but cold at night. And then Chris also asks, Hi Stuart, can I ask at what temperature do you stop feeding sugar syrup and start feeding fondant if I feel the bees are still low on stores? And will it be okay to keep topping up the fondant during the winter months? Thanks, Chris. So hi Anne and Chris and thank you for the questions. Um, treating through the winter months can help reduce a low varroa infection even further. So if you've treated in the autumn, you can then further reduce that uh, varroa population by using oxalic acid. And we use the oxalic acid in the winter uh, as a, either a trickle or a sublimation of vapour because it's only effective when the varroa are not in the brood. So as long as they're out and they're phoretic, which means that they're on the bees, then the oxalic acid can do its trick. And, and that's why we treat during the late December, early January phase. And so, Anne, if you want to use that uh, treatment then it's perfectly fine and uh, I've got some videos and uh, there's some other information on the website that you can turn to uh, for help with that. Regarding feeding the bees it's yet another very strange end to the year and I fear that these warm temperatures are certainly going to cause issues when we get through to mid and late winter so watch out for that but active bees now means that they're out foraging and using up energy and that might be fine if you've got lots of forage out there for them, such as ivy, which is still in flower. And there may well be other flowering plants that can provide a decent amount of nectar and pollen. But if these are now starting to dry up or have, have completely gone over, as no doubt they will have in some areas, it may mean that the bees are burning more energy than they can either forage and replace in terms of nectar used, and then they're going to start consuming stores that they've put away for the winter. Now, that's not going to be a problem now, but there will be a cost towards the end of the winter months when they start running out of food stores. And that's when you need to start feeding the fondant, but not syrup. Heavy sugar syrup, no, is fine. It's still warm enough, certainly here in Norfolk, uh, for the bees to pack some more of that away. But once the bees start to cluster, I would remove it. And that's generally what I tend to look for. Once the temperatures get down to the point that the bees are clustering, 
that's when I'll remove any very late feeders that I've got on. But I've only got one or two colonies that I'm still feeding at the moment. The rest have been pretty much sorted. It sounds like you've been feeding them really well, Anne. So I'd just be very positive about what you've done so far. Uh, Your bees are probably going to overwinter fine, but obviously a little bit of fondant through the latter part of the winter Uh, works as a bit of a security blanket probably more for us beekeepers than the bees but it's not going to do any harm the next question is from leslie creed and leslie says hi Stuart, is it best to put the fondant on top of the crime board or the frames and do you put the inspection board in for winter hi leslie and thanks for the question Uh, yes on the hives that i give fondant to i always place it above the crime board it's just something i've always done uh, directly above the brood nest however so if the brood nest has moved one way or the other maybe to the left the right to the front or the back i might just pop the crime board and just turn it if i've got an offset feed hole some of my crime boards have got the feed hole just on one side towards one edge so it's not central so i might just have a look to see where they are and then just turn the crime board around so that that fondant is directly above the brood nest and then cut a small hole into the wrapping beneath the fondant and that goes directly on top of the bees and i generally tend to just give it a little bit of a squeeze so that it is almost in contact with the bees and generally speaking you'll see the cluster is up above the frames and clustering quite close to the crime board so they'll be straight on it for the vast majority of my colonies that seems to work out just fine Uh, I've not really had that many problems with it. When you say, do I leave the inspection board in for winter? Uh, I guess you're talking about the dummy board that is at the edge of the brood box. And if that's what you mean, uh, then yes, that's left in pretty much permanently. I don't remove that at all. If it's not, then drop me a message and just let me know what you're referring to. And I'll try and answer it directly to you. Our next question comes from Dare Winston, who says, Hi, Stuart. I would love to know more about how you number your hives and keep records. Perhaps a topic for winter when you're not too busy. Unless I've missed it, I haven't seen you cover this in previous videos. Thank you. Hi, Dare. Thanks for the question. And uh, yes, there is a a video. uh, It's quite an early video, but there is a video out there uh, of me explaining my record keeping. But just to cover really the, the numbering system that I use, and this is again one of those areas where lots of beekeepers will use different options to suit themselves and the systems that they use. However, you're asking specifically about my numbering system. So this is what I do. So the numbering system I use is more for queen identification than hive identification. I use small round discs with numbers on them. And when I find I've got a successfully mated new queen, she's given a numbered disc. So that disc then follows her around wherever she goes. So let's take uh, an example. So let's assume that I've got a new queen that she's mated successfully and is currently in a nuke box. The numbered disc, let's say it's number 25, goes beneath the roof of that nuke. A few weeks later, I split another colony, make up a full-size hive with frames of brood in all stages, food and a few frames of foundation, that kind of thing. And I introduce queen numbered 25 into that queenless colony. And so the numbered disc then gets transferred from the nuke and placed under the roof of her new home, so the new hive. So let's say I keep her for a couple of years. She's a really productive queen that gives me lots of honey. She's a good temperament. The colonies are of a good temperament. 
and it's one that I want to raise more queens from before she becomes too old. So to give her more time to lay eggs and reduce the egg-laying pressure on her, I'll remove her from that large hive and put her into a nuke where she's got less room to lay eggs and the numbered disc goes with her back under the roof of that nuke. Sadly, eventually she's going to die out and the colony will become queenless and then that disc number 25 goes into my wash bucket, gets cleaned and is ready to be reused with another queen. And because I raise open mated queens, I have no need for complicated stud books or matriline data, so I don't tend to worry too much about grandmothers and great-grandmothers. I do sometimes think that beekeepers can overcomplicate things, but that is the beauty of beekeeping. You can take a very simple, straightforward hobby and you can develop it the way that you want to develop it and do the things that you want to do with your beekeeping. So I hope that explains my method and good luck with whatever route you do choose to take. Obviously, keeping records is the most important thing and having a reference of some sort for each hive or queen will make that job a lot easier. So whether you choose to number the queen, number the hive, or whatever you choose to do, as long as you're keeping some records, then that's fine. So at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that uh, Anne, Chris, and Ian Haslam had uh, all asked a similar question, and we now turn to a few questions that Ian has sent in. So thanks for these questions, Ian. And again, it's questions relating to the final winter feed and setting up hives for the cold months ahead. So Ian says, Hi Stuart, what weather or temperature pattern are you looking at as the final winter setup date for effectively putting them to bed? So that's a really good question, Ian. And again, in beekeeping, it's one of those questions that has no simple answer. But I can demonstrate quite easily uh, how my traditional timetable for these things has been blown completely out of the water this year. So uh, my normal timetable is that I remove honey at the end of July. I don't take my bees to any autumn crops, so there's no heather or anything like that that I go to. So that's pretty much it for me in terms of honey production. Through August and into the first week or two of September, I treat colonies that need to be treated, and I organise colonies to make sure that they're strong enough and have got an actively laying queen. So I basically make sure that the colonies are queen right. In September, I'll feed heavy sugar syrup and ensure that all the colonies have got enough stores for the winter. I'll double check on those colonies that I have any doubts about in terms of being queen right. And by that time, we are then ready to hit October, which turns really cold, and then we all sit tight and wait for spring. And as I mentioned earlier, it's almost mid-October. I think today the temperature looks like it's going to hit at least 22 degrees here in Norfolk. Uh, The bees are out foraging, they're going crazy again, and you'd think that it was August all over again. So there is this issue that I mentioned to Anne earlier. We beekeepers need to make a mental note of the fact that our bees could run out of forage and be literally eating into their winter stores too soon. So we need to be mindful that later in the winter our colonies could be losing out on feed so we might need to give them some fondant. But as I mentioned all of my colonies are now set up for winter. I'm just waiting for the weather to change. So uh, I've got a couple of colonies out there that still have uh, a feeder on each of those but other than that they're all ready to go. So it's um, it's going to be a case of 
keep a close eye on them and maybe add a little bit of fondant as we go through into the winter months. Next question from Ian is, Hi Stuart, I've found two colonies that through summer have been absolutely fine. Both superseded and virgin queens seen, but both have failed, actually disappeared and the hives are hopelessly queenless. I have united over paper with a suitable colony that could do with a boost of numbers. I plan to wait a week, but what is the process then? I assume I shake the bees from the top box and use the stores below. So that's another great question, Ian. I've got a couple of options for you with uh, uniting colonies at this time of the year. If they're quite large colonies, I would just tend to leave them on a double brood, feed them freely and leave them double stacked up for the winter. And then next spring, it's a simple job simply to divide them and create a replacement colony for the one that ended up queenless this uh, autumn. If they're not so strong, then doing as you suggest by reducing down to one brood box is a sensible move. Uh, Again, depending on the type of boxes that you're using, they're likely to have a better chance of seeing out the winter with a smaller box area to keep warm. So if you've only got a small colony there, I would tend to just reduce them down into a single brood box. Make sure that the Lane Queen has got a couple of additional frames to lay in and then just pack out the rest of that box with lots of pollen and honey frames. Ian's final question relates to feeding fondant. Hi Stuart, as and when I need to put fondant on, I plan to place it over the whole of the crime board. As there is little space beneath the roof, I've made up paper plates of fondant rolled flat and wrapped in cling film. Anything else would need an eek. What do you do? So Ian, if you're making up your own fondant, I would tend to leave it until the last minute to make it up and then portion it out and and wrap it. I guess you could freeze it maybe. Uh, But what I find with my homemade fondants, and I'm no expert with it, but it does, for me, tend to dry out a little bit. So making up too far in advance causes me a few problems. So just watch out that it doesn't uh, go too dry. Previously, I've used Baker's fondant and just cut out slabs at the point that I need to use it and then wrap them with cling film to keep them from drying out. And I cut these just thick enough to sit beneath the roof space. So on most of my wooden hives there is a batten that runs around the inside of the roof and that gives a nice little space that the fondant can sit underneath this year i'm going to be using some ready-made fondant called appy pasta from happy valley honey and these come in a one kilo pre-packed measurement so it's just a simple case of cutting a small hole in the underside and sitting it on top of the feed hole in the crime board so i'm hopeful that that's all going to work out well but good luck with uh, feeding your bees your fondant through this winter and our final question comes from caroline rose who says stuart we have several nukes ready to overwinter we've treated them and they appear to be well provisioned with stores but we'll probably put fondant on them at some point over the winter we're using nukes with see-through plastic cover boards and don't know whether to cut a hole in the perspex and put the fondant on top or to lift the perspex and put the fondant beneath it. The nuke doesn't have an eek, so it would then need the roof to be tightened down onto the fondant to hold everything in place and not leave any gaps around the frames. How would you tackle this problem? Well, it's a great question, Caroline. Um, One that I've also been pondering, as I've got some new poly nukes that I have the exact same problem with. And my solution is going to be to do the same as I've done with some of my queen mating nukes. 
And uh, let me just explain what I did with those. None of those came with cover boards, so I made some Perspex cover boards for them. But then the challenge was how to get the capped queen cell into the mating nuke. And what I did was I drilled a hole large enough to insert the queen cell, but to prevent the bees from spilling out of the top, I attached a small flap to the top by adding a square of Perspex and taping it to the cover board with a piece of duct tape. This meant that I could open the cover board to insert the queen cell, but flip the cover back when it wasn't in use. And the bees propolized it up and stuck it down fast when I wasn't using it. So looking at the feeding question, I'm going to do exactly the same thing with the nukes and the polyhives in order to be able to add the fondant. So I'm going to cut a larger hole, maybe a couple of inches in diameter, cut that out of the middle of the cover board, and then use a square of perspex to cover it over, sticking one side down with duct tape to make sure that it's secure. The bees will no doubt propolize it shut, but then in the winter I should be able to pop it open like a little trapdoor and place the fondant on top of the cover board to allow the bees access without having to pull off the cover board, which is going to be held absolutely solid by wax and propolis. I hope that helps. Give it a try and let me know how you get on with it. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping, short and sweet. Yeah.